hard enough. Sorry, Keith. Welcome. If you are visiting with us, you're very. Uh, we hope that you feel like you're a very welcome guest of ours. You are to us. You're special, and so we encourage you to stick around and get to know us. Um, and if you know us, then stick around anyway, and, and spend some time with us. We are getting ready to have our our introduction for our speaker for this evening. But before we do that, let's have we're going to have a prayer. Um, in our announcements, you will hear that Kim Hearn is going to have outpatient surgery. Um, don't know the nature of it, but she asked specifically if we could pray for her. Uh, so we will do that. Alan is traveling to Wharton, I believe, tonight, and we'll pray for him. Eddie is in a gospel meeting up at Honey Grove. Is that right? Honey Grove, Texas, a little town um, somewhere up north. And so we'll continue to keep him. Yeah, everything's up north, isn't it, Ken? Every, everything's north of us, unless it's not. <laughs> anyway, so Eddie's, Eddie will be back Saturday. He has a, a wedding to be a part of on, on Saturday, and I think then they're coming back. So you will see him Sunday, Lord willing. Before we have a prayer, I will introduce John Helbig, and following the prayer, he'll come up and speak. Um, he is from the Longmire Road Church of Christ in Conroe. He's been here before. He and Joe Goodspeed have worked, uh, have still worked together, I guess, spend time together. Um, and uh, Joe is special to us. John is special to us as well. We look forward to hearing him anytime he comes. And, and I hadn't been able to hear you for the last couple of years. And so it's, it's, a, it's a blessing um, to have you here. He's born in Natchez, Mississippi, graduated from Harding University. Uh, he's been involved in ministry for 30 years. He's worked as a youth minister in Port Arthur, Texas, and in, in Houston, Texas. He's been involved with preaching in Oxford, Alabama, Beaumont, Texas, has been with Longmire now for uh, since 2002 for 13 years. Yeah, that's great. He has a wife, Carrie. They will have their 24th wedding anniversary in August. Uh, they have a Son, Caleb, he's 21. He lives and works in Conroe. And then Claudia, their daughter, is 17. She's a senior at Conroe High School and uh, getting ready to to plan her future. We were talking about her going to Harding for pre-med. And I think Steve Lehman and Melinda can talk to you about that as well uh, in just a little while. But we are excited for John to be here. We look forward to his message as he preaches the word to us. Let's have a prayer and then he will come and talk to us. Our Father God in heaven, thank you for being a, a, a God of peace. And we pray that our, our minds can settle down now and our hearts can settle down and we can open our minds to your word tonight as John get, comes and preaches to us. We're grateful for times like this where you bring us together as a family to, to share blessings of, of being together, to share the blessing of, of being able to share burdens as well. And we, we're thinking about Kim, and we pray that you'll be with her as she prepares for the surgery. Be with those other people in our congregation who are suffering uh, physically, and we pray that you'll be with them and that you'll allow us to be a part of their lives in, at this time as well. Thank you for opportunities to serve in that capacity. We ask that you be with Eddie, and we pray that that he will continue to have a good week as he's had so far. We, we're grateful for the opportunities that he has to go and do things like this gospel meeting. We pray for continued safety for him. And we pray that you'll bring him back to us safely. And thank you for that. We ask that you be with Alan at this time as he, as he delivers a message down in Wharton. We pray that you will bring 
he and Janice back safely, him and Janice back safely. And uh, we, again, we're grateful that he is willing to go out and, and preach your word uh, continually and steadfastly and zealously. We're grateful for the way that you put up with this, and we're and we're thinking about that at this moment. And we're 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 asking for forgiveness for the things that we've done against you, for those times where we've made uh, bad decisions. We ask for forgiveness for those. We ask for the ability to get past those times as well. Once you've forgiven us, we pray that we'll be able to just move on, forgive ourselves, uh, and and enjoy the freedom that we have from from feeling guilty after you've forgiven us. We ask that you be patient with us as we strive to grow, to be better brothers and sisters to each other, to be better uh, spouses, to be better parents, to be better friends, family members. We ask for your continued patience, and we're, we marvel at that patience, Father, and we, we pray that we can emulate that as well. Once again, we pray that we'll be good students tonight. We pray that our hearts will be open to this message and we're so thankful that John is here to deliver it. Thank you so much for life. Thank you so much, most of all, for Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to be opening your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 is going to be the text that we're going to be drawing our thoughts from together tonight. Thankful for the opportunity and the invitation to be here with you again this year. I'm... Uh, Thankful to the Lord that I-45 kept moving again this year, and uh, uh, and I'm hoping to be thankful that a weather app on my phone that dinged when I was about to walk in was accurate because it said thunderstorm in Rosenberg. Now, I don't know if anybody saw one anywhere or not, but uh, we'll be thankful if the Lord wants to drop a little rain on this area, and if He does, I'd like for Him to let me to lasso it and bring it back to Conroe because we need it as well. I'm going to share with you some thoughts today on fortify your heart and your mind, and I'm going to be kind of giving you a, a summation of a series of lessons that I've worked on in recent months uh, with the congregation there in Conroe. But we're going to begin by reading Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. <clears throat> rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. When we come to this text in Philippians, we find a section where Paul is exhorting the Christians in Philippi on how to stand firm in the Lord. Go back to verse 1 and we draw that exhortation to be standing firm in the Lord. Those Christians, just like us today uh, have to be diligent to stand firm because there's a lot of uh, attempts to knock us off our balance spiritually. Satan's after each one of us. He will attack us at any weakness that we expose. 
Now for the church at Philippi, if you look back at verses 2 and 3, it seems that there was a conflict between two women that had become a storm that was disrupting their lives. And it was affecting the church. And it's out of that context of this storm between this relationship and the church that he's going to draw these exhortations to stand firm in the Lord. So Paul urges the saints in Philippi to build a fortification of their heart and of their mind that will prevent Satan from having entry and from having influence over their lives. And he urges this fortification, first of all, by telling them to build a wall of praise. Build a wall of praise in their life. Look back at verse 4. He tells them, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. You ever heard the phrase, uh, misery loves company? Uh, I've known some people that live by that motto. And I'm sad to say I've known some people in the church that live by that motto. Yes, we want salvation. Yes, we sing when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be. But I'm afraid some people think that the only rejoicing that takes place is when we get to heaven. Uh, I don't think that's God's plan for our life. He wants us to have a full and abundant life. Yet, sometimes it's hard for people to express joy in their Christian lives now. And sometimes people who have trouble expressing joy for themselves seem to do their best to draw others into their misery and to try to knock down those who show excitement sometimes. Now don't get me wrong, I recognize life can be tough, can it? Life can be painful. Life can be very unfair at times. And so I'm not trying to minimize our suffering. I'm not trying to minimize our heartache. I'm not trying to minimize how real and how raw those emotions and those feelings can be during the difficult days of our life. But I do want us to learn a lesson from Scripture here of how life can be even. Even in the midst of some of the most difficult, some of the most painful times of our life found an article that was in the House to House, Heart to Heart publication. Some of you may have read this. But it said a lady woke one morning, looked in the mirror, and noticed that she had only three hairs on her head. Well, she said, I think I'll braid my hair today. And so she did, and she had a wonderful day. The next day she woke up, looked in the mirror, and noticed she had only two hairs on her head. Hmm, she said, I think I'll part my hair in the middle today. And so she did, and she had a wonderful day. The next day she woke up, looked in the mirror, and noticed that she had only one hair on her head. Well, she said, I think I'll wear my hair in a ponytail today. So she did, and she had a great day. The next day she woke up, looked in the mirror, and saw that there wasn't a single hair on her head. Yay, she exclaimed, I don't have to do my hair today. And then the closer there is attitude is everything, isn't it? Attitude is everything. In order to build a wall of praise for our heart and for our mind, 
I think we're going to first have to understand the basis for joy. The basis for joy. One of the best working descriptions for life that I've ever heard for joy is that joy is not the absence of suffering, but the presence of God. I want you to think about that for a moment. Joy is not the absence of suffering, but it's the presence of God. Now stop and think about Paul who wrote this admonition in Philippians here. Where is he when he's writing this admonition? Well, Paul's in prison. Paul's in prison when he's writing, Rejoice always. Back in Philippians chapter 1, if you flip back a few chapters. Philippians 1, verses 18 through 22, Paul says, Because of this I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Did it make a difference what was going to happen to Paul physically? No. He said, it is my prayer, it is my goal, it is my anticipation and hope that I will not be ashamed of Christ Jesus my Lord. And I don't want to be ashamed of Him and I want to rejoice in Him whether it means that I'm going to death at this point or whether it means I'm going to go on living. But rejoicing was His goal either way. Turn over a chapter to Philippians 2. If we look at verses 17 and 18 of Philippians 2, Paul said, But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now stop and think about it. He's pulling up this imagery of the Old Testament sacrifices and he's talking about a drink offering. Well, what does it mean when a drink offering is poured out? It's gone, isn't it? It's totally used up. It's totally consumed in that sacrifice. And so Paul is saying, look, even if my life is totally consumed here because of what I'm doing on behalf of faith, your faith, he's mentioning them specifically, he said, even if it means that my life is consumed because of this, rejoice. He said, I'm going to rejoice about it and I want you to rejoice about it as well. Go over to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and it is a safeguard for you. And now that brings us back to Philippians 4 where our text is tonight. These passages of joy and these passages about rejoicing are interwoven with Paul's mention of suffering and his mention of hardship that accompanies this physical life. And I think Paul specifically in the combination of the joy and rejoicing and the suffering and hardship is showing how hardship and suffering are in fact part of fellowship with Christ. You can go back to Philippians 3 verse 10 and he talks about how he wants to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His suffering. 
to become like Christ in His death. And so Paul knew the importance of that fellowship even of suffering. But we need to recognize that the two concepts are compatible. They are compatible. Joy and suffering can both be our companions in this life. So don't let Satan steal your joy. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is head of His body, the church. Jesus Christ has a place for you. Jesus Christ has a purpose for you in His service. Yes, difficulties may come. But difficulties change nothing about our confidence and nothing about our promises in Jesus Christ. Uh, many years ago, I heard a song that uh, I've, I've kept it in my, my thoughts many times in, in difficult struggles for people that I know or people I'm trying to encourage. And you may have heard the song entitled Praise the Lord. I think Acapella has it on one of their CDs years ago. But it says, When you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams, and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes, and you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fears, don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear. Praise the Lord. He can work with those who praise Him. Praise the Lord. For our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord. For the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise Him. Now Satan is a liar and he wants to make us think that we are paupers when he knows himself. We're children of the King. So lift up the mighty shield of faith for the battle has been won. We know that Jesus Christ has risen and the work's already done. Praise the Lord. He can work with those who praise Him. Praise the Lord. For our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord. For the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise Him. Do you want to stand firm in the Lord? Well, in this life, that stand will be made in the midst of struggle. Paul says, build a wall of praise. Build a wall of praise. But then he goes on and he says also, build a wall of peace. Build a wall of peace. Look back at verse 5. He said, let your gentleness or let your gentle spirit be evident to all. Now remember, there was a conflict between two women that prefaced these instructions. That was the particular storm for the church at Philippi at that moment. Paul had his own storms of life that he was encountering. He was in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. How would the women handle that situation? How would those around them handle that situation? How would the church be affected in this setting? A gentle spirit is crucial to dealing with one another in the midst of our private or our public storms. I'm going to repeat that. A gentle spirit is crucial to dealing with one another in the midst of our private or our public storms. Satan is going to use inner turmoil to turn us against the very ones that God has surrounded us with for strength 
and for protection and for encouragement. Family, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, have you ever seen that? In the midst of our personal struggles, that's who we turn against. The people who should be our greatest source of help through those difficult times. remember hearing a phrase years ago, don't bite the hand that feeds you. You know, sometimes we're cruelest to those people who are trying the most to help us along this journey. We need each other. We belong to each other. We're part of a one another fellowship in Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul declared in Romans 12 verse 18, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So we need to avoid Satan's scheme to get us to turn away from or even turn against our church family in the midst of the storms of life that we encounter. Because Satan wants us isolated. He knows that alone and weak, we are much more vulnerable to his destruction. And so Paul says, build a wall of peace. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And here's the urgency of that matter at the end of verse 5. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Now there's two possible meanings to that, and I'll let you read the commentaries. I'll let you debate it. I think either one of them would apply. The Lord is near. It could mean near in terms of His presence. The fact that the Lord is with us. Don't we believe that? Where two or three are gathered in His name, I'll be with you. If we don't believe that, we need to go home. If we don't believe that, don't show up Sunday to worship Him. Because if we're worshiping Him without letting Him be here, then we're wasting our time. And it's not about Him. Okay? So we believe that. He's near in terms of our presence. So we need to let our gentle spirit... Would it ever do us good to stop and think about something we just did or a way we just reacted if we stopped and thought about, you know, the Lord was there with us when we did that? (laughs) He wouldn't be very pleased, would He? He wouldn't be very pleased. So it could mean the Lord's near in terms of His presence. Or it could mean He's near in terms of coming again. That should get our attention, shouldn't it? Do we believe that Jesus Christ is going to come again? Do we know when He's going to come? I don't. Does that mean it could be sooner than later? Absolutely. Could it be today? Yes. Could it be tomorrow? Yes. Should that make a difference in how we approach life and how we approach faithfulness and how we approach one another and those around us? I think it does. Our personal pains, our petty preferences, our egos worth fracturing harmony with our brother? Satan would say, yes. Because he wants your soul for eternity. But the Word of God loudly proclaims, no. No. Let your gentle spirit be evident. Do you want to stand firm in the Lord? Well, in this life, that stand will be made in the midst of struggles. Paul says, build a wall of praise. Build a wall of peace. Then thirdly, in verse 6, he says, build a wall of prayer. Build a wall of prayer. Do not be anxious, but pray. Do not be anxious, but pray. Satan is crafty. He seeks to infiltrate our heart and our mind and one of his most powerful weapons is anxiety. 
How much peace and joy do we miss by our anxious and our troubled thoughts? The Greek language here for anxious could be translated to be pulled in different directions. Ever felt that way? Anxious, being pulled in different directions. Now keep that in mind because we're going to contrast that in just a moment. Don't be anxious, but pray. We sing the song, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Now the real problem with being anxious is that being anxious indicates a lack of trust, doesn't it? And it indicates a lack of trust in God. A lack of trust in God. So Paul says, don't be anxious, pray. Pray. The antidote to anxiety is prayer, according to Paul. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, Paul says, be joyful always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you notice how he linked those together? Be joyful and pray. If you're going to be joyful always, you better be praying always, right? They work together, don't they? I'm not going to be a joyful person always if I'm not praying always, because remember, joy is totally dependent upon who? On God. The presence of God that I'm allowing to be there in my life and in my actions. Do not be anxious, but pray. And then in verse 7 he said, and when we do this, God's peace will guard you. God's peace will guard you. Now, remember I told you we're going to look at a contrast. Whereas anxious means to be pulled in different directions, The word for peace here means to be bound, joined, woven together. It means to be assured, confident, and secure in the love and the care of God. There's quite a difference there, isn't it? Quite a difference there. Don't be anxious. Don't be pulled in all these different directions, but instead you pray and you have peace. You have this confidence, this security, and here again, what's the source of that? Same source as joy. It's God. God is that source. We trust Him and we entrust our lives to Him. And Paul says this peace transcends or surpasses our understanding. You ever stop to think about that? How do we explain the peace of God? How do you explain the peace of God? I hope you know what it feels like, but it's not so easy to explain it, is it? Because it comes at a time when the people of this world can't possibly understand how we have peace and how we have joy and how we have confidence, even in the midst of some of the most difficult circumstances of life. Paul told the Galatians that peace is a fruit of the Spirit of God. It's a byproduct. It's a serendipity of God's Spirit being allowed to lead our lives. His peace is power for our daily life. His peace is power for our daily praise. 
His peace is power for our daily gentle spirit. His peace is power that will protect our hearts and minds. A power that will guard our hearts and minds. Do you want to stand firm in the Lord? Well, in this life, that stand will be made in the midst of struggle. Paul says, build a wall of praise. Build a wall of peace. Build a wall of prayer. And then fourthly, verse 8, build a wall of purity. Build a wall of purity. Verse 8, he says, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. Now remember, our goal is to fortify our hearts and our minds in Christ. That's our goal. And shouldn't that be our daily goal? Because Satan's trying to get our minds and our hearts turned toward all kinds of other things. But we want to stand firm in the Lord. We want to fortify our hearts in the Lord. We want to fortify our minds in the Lord. And so Paul says, the truth the noble, the right, the pure, the lovely, the admirable, the excellent, the praiseworthy. These are the things we should dwell on. These are the things we should think on. These are the things with which we should fill our hearts and our minds. But friend, Satan has masterfully desensitized our society. Just look at our own country. Just look at our own country. The things that are embraced. The things that are overlooked. The things that somehow are justified. Satan has desensitized our society. Shouldn't really surprise us. Peter tells Christians who are going through very difficult times they shouldn't be surprised by those things. The first century church was born into a culture that was quite depraved, uh, even to the point probably that would surprise some of us to understand some of the things that were going on in that society in those days openly. So it doesn't surprise us that Satan has desensitized society, although it should sadden us. But what I'm more concerned about is that Satan has also masterfully desensitized the church. He's desensitized children of God who are walking in this world so that the world's ways become more acceptable and we become more agreeable with those things. He's desensitized us to filling our lives with communication that's corrupting heart and mind. Filling our lives with entertainment that's corrupting our hearts and our minds. I remember when we had children, how much more aware we became of some of the things on television. Some of the things that maybe we had listened to, and okay, we're adults, right? Yeah, but should adults be filling their hearts and minds with some of the things that children shouldn't be exposed to? 
I understand some things like information, news, and, and, you know, sad events in the world maybe, but when it comes to some of these other things, we shouldn't be filling our own hearts and minds. I don't care how old we are with those things because it does impact our lives. And so Paul says, dwell on these things, and then he goes forward and he says, and put them into practice. Dwell on these kinds of things and then put these things into practice. In Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7 we read, For as he thinks within himself, so is he, or so he is. As a man thinks within himself, so he is. Look over to Luke chapter 6 and verse 45. And let's look at the words of Jesus in this text. Luke chapter 6. In verse 45, you said it goes to 10 after? Okay. Luke chapter 6 and verse 45. In that text, Jesus says, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. The things that we allow to be poured into our mind and into our heart are the things that are going to be demonstrated by our lives. I'm a Mississippi boy originally. If Jesus had been writing this in Mississippi, I think he would have said, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Okay? What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Whatever you're filling your heart with is what is going to come out in your life at some point. It's going to come out in your behavior at some point. I don't necessarily know your heart and your mind, and you don't necessarily know mine. Some things are private. But ultimately, our public behaviors will be affected even by our private considerations of the heart and of the mind. Satan wants us to buy into the lie that our private lives can be filled with things our public lives would hate to publicize. But such inward dwelling is going to ultimately affect our outward practice and, and, it will also prevent our peace with God. Did you hear me? You may say, well, that will never come out publicly, but it will prevent your peace with God. Because, you know, peace with God is that confidence, that assurance, that strength for day-to-day living. But if we're filling our hearts and minds with things that we don't want exposed in our life, then we're going to be scattered and drawn in several different directions. And I think the word was anxiety, right? Anxiety, okay? Our fortification for heart and mind against the attack of Satan is to dwell, to think on the things that are pure and to practice those things in our lives. About 25 years ago or so, a poem was found in the Bible of a lady who had passed away at our congregation. 
And that poem was read at her memorial and uh, it was it very much explained her attitude toward some difficulties in her life and it's become very meaningful to me and I've used it on many occasions to try to help others who are going through difficult days. But it's entitled The Crossing. I came to the swift raging river and its roar held the echo of fear. I said, Lord, give me strength to pass over if you are, as you promised, quite near. He said, Child, trust the grace I am giving, all pervasive, sufficient for you. Take my hand, we will face this together. But my plan is not over, but through. God's never promised that He's going to remove all the struggles of life from us. In fact, quite the opposite. Struggles sometimes are for our benefit and for our blessing. We're not removed from all the heartache. We're not removed from all the pain. We're not removed from all the sorrow of this life. But we are promised. We are promised that God will go through those things with us. He'll take us by our hand. He'll lead us through. And even in the midst of those most difficult struggles, we can have peace and we can have joy. Do you want to stand firm in the Lord? Well, in this life, that stand will be made in the midst of struggle. Fortify your heart and your mind. Paul says do that by building a wall of praise, building a wall of peace, building a wall of prayer, and building a wall of purity. May God bless us as we seek to stand firm in Him. Thank you for letting me be with you tonight.